You are listening to the Hippie Haven podcast. I'm Callie, a zero waste activist and public speaker, creator of Bestowed Essentials, a line of eco-friendly home and body products, owner of Hippie Haven Shop, the first refill store in South Dakota, and of course, host of this Hippie Haven podcast. If you're new here, I release an episode every Wednesday, which you can get instantly downloaded to your phone for easy listening by subscribing to this podcast on any of the major podcasting apps. The show notes and full transcript for every episode are available on my website, hippiehavenpodcast.com. You can also learn more about me on the website or by following along on Instagram at hippiehavenshop. This episode is part three of my Live Your Best Life series as we start off 2020 doing the internal work to be our best selves so that we can then do more impactful external work to help others and the environment. My guest today is Lisa Erickson, a writer, teacher, and energy healer specializing in women's energy and sexual trauma healing. She is certified in both mindfulness meditation instruction and trauma sensitivity and has been teaching about chakras and meditation for over 15 years. Lisa is a member of the International Association of Meditation Instructors, the American Holistic Health Association, and the Energy Medicine Practitioners Association. She has spoken at the Mankato State Women's Spirituality Conference, the National Energy Healing Conference, and the National Sexual Assault Conference. Lisa is also the creator of a popular daily um course called Awakening Your Feminine Chakras and has recently published a book titled Chakra Empowerment for Women. Lisa is committed to offering affordable and trauma-sensitive healing options for sexual trauma survivors. And in this episode, she'll be teaching us about the chakras, how they relate to our physical and emotional health, how to tell if and where we have blocked energy, common coping patterns after sexual trauma and how to heal from them, how to help loved ones who have experienced sexual trauma, resources for survivors, and so much more. So let's get into today's episode. So Lisa, tell me, what are chakras? Well, chakras are part of our energy body, which is really this interface between our physical body and our mind, our psyche, our spirit. And the word chakra is Sanskrit. So original chakra teachings really correspond to yoga teachings. And I think in the West, that's where a lot of people may first hear that term chakra is in a yoga class. Because yoga poses or asanas, the physical postures, were originally created to align energy currents in our body in order to prepare us for meditation, in order to prepare someone for meditation and other spiritual practice. That was really on the one hand, the spiritual development of the chakras. And then within energy medicine, including like Indian Ayurvedic medicine, there's also energy center or chakra teachings where they link the energies of each chakra to different organs, different glands, different functions, immune function, bone function, circulatory function, et cetera. And so Ayurvedic medicine also incorporates some of that energy work. So you have kind of two different strains, spiritual and psychological, personal growth and physical health. And of course, in mind-body medicine, those two come together and working with your chakras, you're kind of working right in that middle point between your body and your psyche or spirit to heal both. That's kind of the over overarching answer. How many chakras are there? And, and can you tell me more about what you mentioned with the functions and glands and associations of the chakras? Yeah, well, the, the chakra mapping, there actually are different chakra mappings that count different minor or major chakras. 
if you Google the chakras here in the West, what you're going to find is seven chakra mapping. And that's the most common in the West, seven main chakras or major chakras that align from our tailbone all the way up our spine to the top of our head. And you have five that kind of go from your tailbone up to your neck, and then you have one in your forehead and one at the crown of your head. So these seven chakras in most Western teachings are mapped to different parts of the body. And, and I just want to mention quickly that other systems really, there's kind of 10 master chakras or some people count some out of body, but different Tibetan and Japanese and Indian traditions work with more or less than seven as being the major ones. So in some traditions, there's only five major ones and the other ones are considered smart. So there actually are more variations in this seven chakra system than most people realize. And then there's differences in men's and women's mappings, which a lot of people um, aren't aware of either, which is one of the big things that, that I work with. But getting back to the energy medicine piece of it, for example, the third chakra, which is linked to your navel and your solar plexus is linked to your digestive system and digestive function. And the gland that it's associated with is the pancreas. The second chakra is down in your pelvis. It's linked to your reproductive organs and your ovaries or prostate. So you, with each chakra, you have different physical mappings like that. And within mind-body medicine, if you're having a particular physical issue, part of how you would approach it is then, what are also the psychological functions mapped to that chakra? And do you have emotional wounding around that that may be relevant? So you may be working on a psychological level with the chakras while you're also working on a physical level, visualizing certain colors, using certain essential oils, ingesting more of certain foods that are tied to strengthening that chakra. And then at the same time, you're working emotionally uh, with different types of somatic work or guided work, which is a lot of what I do to, to focus in on emotions or emotional wounding, psychological patterns that may be tied to blocking the energies of that particular chakra. And I, I feel like it's more and more common these days to hear phrases like my chakras are off balance or out of alignment or my chakras are blocked. How can we tell if or if and where we have blocked energy or misaligned chakras? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's important to recognize the chakras. There's different levels that they function on. Our energy body has different levels. So normally when someone says, or you do like one of these fast readings, there's places, there's even machines you can sit in and it'll read your aura, <laughs> things like that. Um, a lot of that, when we say our chakras are blocked or not open, it's literally like your energy body is just dirty. You've picked up, you've been in a crowd and you've picked up a lot of energies or you've been in a, in a situation that wasn't pleasant. And so there is a level with which you can work with your chakras that's a lot of crystal work, things like that, that it's really about opening or balancing your chakras just at that level. It's almost like taking an energy shower, if that makes sense. But then when we're talking about block chakras, we're usually talking about something much deeper, which is, for example, if you have trauma in your background related to relationships. So you have really created a lot of defensive walls and don't even allow yourself, don't allow people into your space. Don't allow a certain level of closeness. I'm, I'm coming up with a very simplistic, you know, pattern, but something like that to an extent, then you've created a wall, your heart chakra is blocked. And what we're working on is how to clear that 
and rewrite those patterns for yourself so you can move into more intimacy and vulnerability with those people in your life whom are worthy of you sharing that. So that would be an example more of a block. So when we talk about opening and clearing, to me, I use those words more in terms of like every day, trying to keep your energy clear, exercise, nutrition, uh, all of that kind of thing. And I use the word block more in the context of deeper patterns at a psychological level that you're trying to clear for personal and spiritual growth. So now to get into the depth of the work that you do with energy healing, as your book talks about, how can we awaken the chakras to heal past emotional trauma? Yeah, I work a lot with sexual trauma survivors, but all, all different types of trauma, really. And what happens with trauma, we have a lot of research now on how trauma impacts us, and it impacts our nervous system, really to some extent we hold trauma in our body often. What trauma is, is our, is our we, ha, we experience some event that our psyche is not able to integrate, is one way to think about it. And so we push it away. We cannot process it. We push it away. And as we do that, it's, it's literally sometimes stored in our body or from my perspective, in our energy body. And it creates blocks in certain ways of expression. It also creates, possibly triggers, things that in our environment that can happen that trigger that unprocessed event in our body. And we react in a way to a sound or a smell or something like that that feels out of control for us. It, we, we're triggered into a state of fear. We're triggered into a state of fight, flight, or freeze even when we're in a situation in which we are not actually in danger because the this trigger has been uh, triggered. So what we're doing with energy work, and, and it's not the right modality for everybody, but I work with an organization called the Breathe Network that works to connect sexual trauma survivors in particular with holistic healers because more and more are finding that talk therapy is valuable, but they need to work at the bodily level because just understanding it at the mental level doesn't always help you reprogram your triggered or conditioned response. So energy work is one of the tools that you can use to really get into your body. So the way that I often work and what I'm trying to offer in the book is a self-guided way of doing this, a way of really gently moving into where do I feel anxiety in my body? And you can even do this just right after you have an anxious experience, after the fact, and you're home safe, alone, where did I feel that anxiety in my body? Where do I locate it? What does it feel like? And then there's various chakra work that you can do to help you feel as if you're releasing that from your body and gradually rewriting the way you respond to fear and anxiety. What techniques do you recommend to help release that anxiety out of the body? Mindfulness work is very powerful in terms of being really what you're doing when you're working with, with trauma is learning how to stay present with discomfort. So if you think about what a trigger is, and we all have triggers to some extent, this is not just, uh, this doesn't just come from experiences that perhaps qualify as trauma. But for example, we have things that trigger us into a fear or a defended response emotionally. And then what do we do? We usually, we each have our own patterns. Some of us may lash out at someone, right? Like that's the version of fight. If we feel threatened or anxious, we go into anger. Others may withdraw. That's the flee response, right? 
Uh, others may become paralyzed. They can't think, they can't function. An hour later, they're thinking of all the things they should have said to that person that was rude to them, right? So we all have these different ways of responding. What you're trying to practice doing as you work through anxiety is learn to be present with the uncomfortable feeling before you shift into that fight, flight, or freeze response, before you shift into your conditioned response. So you're really trying to stay with your body, learn to breathe through the anxiety, go, okay, this is a feeling of anxiety welling up. When I have that, I get butterflies in my stomach, I tense my body, and you're trying to catch yourself right at that point and release. You can do that with the breath, but for many people, doing that with the chakras is incredibly powerful. Learning to activate your heart chakra if that's where you feel it, or activate your navel chakra if that's where you feel anxiety, actually visualizing a ball of light of that color in that area and learning how to imagine it's dissipating that anxiety, it's letting it go, and then you move, then you can move forward. You're choosing, learn, you're practicing learning to choose your response act instead of going into that unconscious response. So that's what I'm trying to offer in chakra empowerment for women. And and in that in this particular book, I'm very focused on women and women's energy bodies. To take a back step to something that you had just mentioned. What do you do if, if you can't pinpoint exactly where you're feeling something in your body or if it feels like it's consuming your entire body? Yeah, very good question because trauma survivors, one of the things that happens is that there can be a tendency to disassociate from the body, especially sexual trauma survivors because the site of the trauma is the body, right? So it is very important to... Uh, gradually try to learn how to be back in your body. But prior to that step, you can still work with the chakras. And this is in fact, the type of individuals that I find the chakras are the most helpful for because other somatic techniques where you're really working physically is too uncomfortable or too abstract. So with the chakras, you can visualize, even if you can't feel anxiety in your body, you can still visualize, for example, the root chakra, which is at your tailbone and it is associated with feeling safe. You can still visualize what I call the root bowl, this energy coming up from the earth, creating a protective boundary around you connected to your root chakra, and that once you become adept at triggering that, it actually releases like an infusion of energy of the type of when you feel safe and helps reverse the stress response that has started to trigger. So you can use visualizations of colors at different places in your body along with breath work to help begin to release those anxious feelings even prior to being able to feel exactly where they are in your body. And on the opposite end of uh, physical disassociation, there's um, that sense of hypervigilance. What mm. healing techniques do you recommend for trauma survivors who've developed as a coping mechanism that sense of hypervigilance to their yeah. surroundings and other people's energy and their own bodies? Yeah, very interesting because sexual trauma survivors in particular, I feel have a really high developed hypervigilance. Well, anyone with childhood abuse, especially because in childhood, someone who lived in a dysfunctional or abusive home often had to develop this fine-tuned sensibility every time they walked into their house of how do I stay safe today? What is everyone's mood today? Is my mother drinking today? Is my uncle who abuses me here today? So there, that, that develops. And in fact, it can become, once someone has retrained themselves, 
a phenomenal level of intuition. So that's just sort of a sidebar. And that's linked to the third eye, what's called the third eye chakra. There is great benefit to learning to boundary that ability, that hypervigilance ability, and turn it into an intuitive gift as opposed to it feeling like a, um, you know, a problem. But getting back to your question, hypervigilance is a kind of disassociation from an energy perspective because it means we're living up in our head in this state of constant vigilance and mental processing always on alert. And, and, and the energy of it is someone is very, very up in their eyes, ears, and brain. And so it is a lot about working with practicing bringing the energy down into the lower chakras, into the lower body, reconnecting to that root chakra and the energies of safety that that chakra is associated with, the getting that cleared, and developing the sense of energetic boundaries which is linked to the navel and root chakra in order to feel as if I'm safe in my body. I can walk in this space and feel safe and be connected. My feet are on the ground in the lower body. And then there's a lot of add on techniques to that. The root chakra is connected to the earth. So really connecting to the earth and plants and things like that really aid that feeling. Uh, so there's, there's different ways to work that way too with other, with other things besides visualization and breath. You mentioned that your new book is primarily focused on women's energy, and um, you also mentioned at the beginning that male and female chakras are different, which isn't something that many people know. Can you go into more about how are male and female chakras different? What is masculine and feminine energy? Yeah, well, and I will say that in my experience, it's really individuals who identify as female. So regardless of biological sex, I found that the chakra differences are aligned more with where, what someone identifies with. That may not always be the case, but I always want to make sure to mention that. And really it's, it's just like our physical anatomy, 80% or 85% of it is the same, but that 15% that is not the same is pretty critical and impacts other parts of our body, right? So our different hormonal balances that stem from our reproductive systems, the differences between men and women, actually don't only impact our reproductive health, it also impacts our heart health. Like the symptoms of a heart attack are totally different in men and women and that has some hormonal links. So it's really the same thing with the energy body and the differences are in the same part of the body. Our second chakra in our pelvis is the center of a woman's energy body and in traditional teachings, it's always taught to be the root chakra is the anchor. But if you go back to tantric teachings, if you go back to other ancient teachings, uh, the second chakra in the pelvis was always taught to be the anchor for a woman's energy body. And that has an impact throughout our energy system. And it does not mean it is not meant to be a support for, oh, a woman's function in life is procreative at all. But it does mean that the particular energies associated with birthing and creating are flow in our energy body in a different way, regardless of how we use them. And that impacts our whole energy body. And, and one of the impacts is that because the second chakra in our pelvis is considered a inward reciprocal receiving chakra, our energy bodies in general are more absorbent of energies around us. Women in general tend to be more absorbent of the emotions and energies around them. And so need to pay more attention to boundaries and other tools 
that help them distinguish their own emotions from others. And of course, conditioning plays a role in that as well. But so that's a lot of what chakra empowerment for women is about. The other piece of it is that our energy body shifts along with our menstrual cycle when we're pregnant, postpartum, and during perimenopause and menopause because that piece of it that's linked to our physical body shifts as well. And men do as well, but not to the same degree because we have much more variation at the physical level and changes our body go through monthly and throughout our life. And the same is true at our energy body. And it can be really helpful to understand some of that. Yeah. Can you expand on that more? How does our energy change throughout our menstrual cycle or throughout our lifetime pre and post menopause? Yeah. So that's a big topic, but I'll talk about menstruation first. The way that it works, it's, it's almost like our second chakra is opening and closing. And as we move into our ovulation phase, and of course, this is, this is slightly different if someone is on the pill or a hormonal-based birth control, but without getting into all those details uh, right now, as we move into ovulation, our energy becomes much and more emanating and much more creative, much more outward-facing. And we know that this is kind of true in terms of our, our chemical function too, right? Like it, there, there is a biological function taking place. There's an energetic shift that occurs. So it is at, it is at the peak of ovulation where really our energy is very outward facing and very outward going. It's a time for uh, being out in the world. It's very goal oriented. We often feel the most productive at that time. As we move into menstruation, we become more inward facing and our second chakra and our energy body goes more inward. It is a time that is best suited for contemplation, for uh, thinking through, contemplating a question in your life. It's a naturally inward facing phase. Now we don't really have the luxury in modern life of structuring our life around that, but even just knowing that and giving yourself 10 extra minutes each day to meditate or journal or whatever it is that you do to connect with your inner self in those days leading up to your period and during it and realizing that you need to pay special attention to boundaries at that time as well because you're more observant of others' energies can be really helpful. So that's one example. And pregnancy is a fascinating time because our cycle stops and in fact our second chakra just gets more and more and more open. So it really is a phenomenal, yeah, because really what's happening is just our vaginal canal is the physical conduit for birth for one body to move out of us and become a second separate body, right? At a spiritual level, the second chakra, that's the function of the second chakra as well. And you can connect to that energy regardless of whether you ever have a child, you can use your second chakra in that way as a conduit for creativity. Uh, it's really fascinating. Then we have perimenopause and menopause. Perimenopause is a time really throughout our, our entire 40s for most women. A lot of there's more research where people where we're realizing that these shifts start and can go on for as long as 10 years. And we treat perimenopause and menopause as kind of a medical liability in our culture. But in fact, in wisdom traditions, in female wisdom traditions, it's considered an incredibly powerful time. It's considered a time that you can really come into your power. In traditions that believe in past lives, it's a time in which you shed karmas energetically. You can shed all, you know, you really shed all of that personal baggage that has held you back. And energetically, there's kind of a lot of processing that ties into that. And you can work energetically to support that. And really what menopause is meant to be is when we're moving into our wisdom years and owning our power at its height 
and our inner wisdom and shifting from the focus on physical energy to the source of our energy truly being our chakras and this internal source of energy. So it's like you're shifting your identification from the physical to the energetic. And it's a very powerful process if we own it that way, instead of just tapping into aging as it's often represented in the Western culture, which is just the deterioration of the body. <laughs> um, instead, it's really the increasing of the energetic and spiritual self. So as you were talking about pregnancy, I had two totally random and off topic to, to what our intended subject is. Um, but as I mentioned before we got on the call, I don't know very much about chakras myself and you are yeah. clearly an expert on this. So I am going to ask these random two questions. Um, with chakras, how, how are your own chakras influenced by the present, the internal presence of other chakras. So for example, when you are pregnant and you are bearing another life inside of you and that baby has their own chakras, how does that affect yours? And then the second would be um, the exchanging of sexual energy. When you're engaging in sexual intercourse and your chakras or your energies are combining, how does that affect your chakras as well? Yeah, let me talk about sexuality first. Uh, It's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that merging energetically impacts us a lot. And in general, it impacts women more than men because the heart of our energy body is in our second chakra. And that is a receiving chakra. And we are more absorbent because of that. So in general, we will tend to be more receptive or potentially pick up more of our partner's moods, um, energies, and things like that. And potentially misinterpret them as our own. And so really part of the art of being in relationship as a woman, and this is regardless of whether you're in relationship with another woman or a man, uh, is to really fine tune our ability to distinguish our own emotions from that of our partners, because that can become a lot more complicated in a sexual relationship. And it can really predispose us to codependency. And in heterosexual relationships, one of the most common patterns that I see because of male-female conditioning and because so many boys and men are still conditioned to not process their own emotions is that their female partner will start processing their emotions for them. And there's kind of this emotional Mm. codependency that And it's reinforced by sex, right? Yeah. So this is a big part of kind of some of the work that I do is helping to develop those boundaries, helping to really distinguish what's my emotions, what's not, and how to have sex where you're taking advantage of this great energetic um, connection, because there are whole traditions. You may have heard of tantric sexuality that is actually about merging your energy body and using that to really, you know, turn sex into a sacred spiritual experience. So that's where the energy connection is amazing. But then outside of that, you want to make sure that you maintain your energetic independence and your emotional independence. So that's kind of that piece of it. Pregnancy is less complicated. Uh, an infant really the, kind of from a spiritual level, it's moving in and out of the body from my perspective. This gets very controversial at times it's really taught in most eastern traditions that kind of the spirit joins with the body on the first external breath outside of the body right oh, okay. so okay. yeah yeah so so that this physical body that's developing within you doesn't have a full chakra system that's really primarily it does it does develop to some extent 
connected to the physical body, but the whole psyche spiritual part of the connection doesn't happen until birth. And so that fourth trimester, however, what they call the fourth trimester, which is those first three months after your baby is born, they still feel like a part of you energetically. And there's this, there is an art to working with that mother child energy line. And I think it is very important postpartum to help prevent postpartum depression is helping women understand how to balance that energy connection. It can be quite overwhelming at first. And so to get a little bit back on topic, I suppose, um, how do the terms masculine and, and feminine energy, how do those apply to people who are transgendered, um, gender fluid or non-binary? Yeah, well, we're all trying to figure that out, right? I mean, I think what yeah. has happened culturally is we have this separation of traits of by what's masculine and what's feminine. And to a large extent, we denigrated everything that was associated with the feminine, right? And I would say that feminism did as well. We really focused on women owning their power on the terms that had been defined within masculine patriarchal culture, right? Which needed to happen in terms of us gaining access and still that needs to continue to power structures, right? But what we have done for both men and women is denigrated the traits that were traditionally associated with the feminine, nurturing, uh, feminine sexual energy, connection to nature, things like this that were in feminine spiritual traditions were always linked to the feminine. And this, what this, what to me, what this work is really about is all of us, men and women, being able to access all of that, right? So I don't like to think in terms of masculine and feminine traits, but ult because ultimately, hopefully we can move beyond that and we're all owning all of it. Right now, uh, men need to really own their feminine traits and women still need to work on owning both and not thinking in terms of that um, growth forward for feminine power is solely about continuing to gain more access to masculine power. It is also about undoing the denigration of traditionally feminine traits. And it's like when we are, because I, I have three kids that are teenagers, two of them are boy-girl twins that are now 13. And I've really been shocked how gendered our conditioning still is. And the reality is that even among very progressive households, there's still much more support for a girl to go into fields or be interested in fields that used to be considered masculine, you know, science and law or whatever, all that stuff, sports, than there is for a boy to do things that were traditionally considered feminine, be feminine, being a nurse, being a teacher, being a ballet dancer, right? We have not been equal. We still are denigrating things that were considered feminine. And um, yeah, energetic level, I call this kind of the rebirth of the feminine. And I'm focused on that within women in this book. But it really, ultimately, the shift needs to occur within both men and women. And I think our transgender population is calling our attention to that. It's like they're bringing attention to these the way that we have separated out energies as being masculine and feminine. And I think what we're all trying to do is own all of it. So I'm not sure if that quite answers your question, but that's my perspective on where we are culturally and how it connects energetically. It does. And it actually leads perfectly into one of my final questions. How can we access the full potential of our energetic power? 
Yeah. Well, I think first just becoming aware of some energy body modality is extremely helpful right now. And whether you choose to work with the chakras, I, I think it's one of the more accessible means to do it or some of the other methods that are out there. I think be, partially because our uh, population growth and all of us live in a very overstimulated state most of the time these days, being able to learn to connect with your energy body through breath, through chakra work, through mind-body exercise modalities like yoga, tai chi, qigong, things like that is really, really helpful. Now, un unfortunately, so many of us uh, have experienced sexual trauma, but for anybody who's listening and perhaps thinking um, of a, a certain friend or loved one that they want to, um, to help, that they think that this information would help, how do you recommend utilizing this knowledge to help loved ones who've experienced sexual trauma? Yeah. Well, one organization that I really do like is the Breathe Network, and because they are really focused on connecting survivors with holistic uh, modalities. So beyond traditional talk therapy, although I think traditional talk therapy can be tremendously valuable. I think organizations like RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, have good referral networks and things like that. But really the most important thing, because sometimes treatment is not where someone is at, is to listen and try to really create a safe space for someone to share. Because that first step of sharing what has happened and sharing and feeling as if it's met with non-judgment is the first step towards healing for any survivor. So just trying to create that space for someone, not trying to, sometimes if you're referring them to, to a modality, a, someone can end up feeling like you're putting them off like you don't wanna hear it, right? So if you can just listen with compassion, that's the greatest gift you can give someone and then look into some of these other resources, you know, not to, you know, push my book too much, but I do think books are often a good method. So if it is a woman and they're interested in energy stuff, chakra empowerment for women might be good because books are something that you do privately, right? So sometimes that's a starting point for someone because they can work privately on their own and that leads them to another modality down the road. I think the other thing is recognizing that people have very different ways of healing. So certain things work for one person, they don't work for someone else. And it's really important to honor that in yourself. And I would say to any survivor out there, if you've tried things and you feel like you haven't gotten benefit from them, what can sometimes happen is someone starts feeling like, I'm just too messed up, I can't be healed, nothing's ever gonna get better. And instead say, no, you just have not found the right partner, the right support, the right person, but it's out there, the right modality for you. Keep looking. It's out there. You'll find what is right for you and really honor that. And you just mentioned your amazing new book that just came out in December. What other resources do you provide to empower women and feminine people? And where can we go to learn more about the healing that you do and potentially work with you? Well, I also do private session work and I also do web seminars. Uh, actually, by the time this airs, the web seminar will have started, but I'm going to do another round of it probably as an evergreen course that someone can do at their own pace after this. And I do private session phone work as well. And that can all be found through my website, chakraempowermentforwomen.com or my blog, mommymystic.com. And you offer a sliding scale fee, right? I absolutely do. So if finances are the main hindrance, I will work with someone in whatever way is fit. And sometimes that is promising to pay it forward to someone in the future. And that's all they pay. 
is that promise. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. And that's a wrap. I'll be back next Wednesday with a follow-up to this episode as we explore more about energy healing plus natural remedies for chronic illnesses. I truly hope that you find this Live Your Best Life series beneficial. If you know someone who'd enjoy the Hippie Haven podcast, share it with them or on social media. If you post on Instagram, don't forget to tag and follow me at Hippie Haven Shop. This podcast is produced with the help of my community manager, Kelly, who also runs our Hippie Haven Facebook group. If you haven't joined that already, be sure to visit Facebook, search the Hippie Haven Facebook group, and join us. You can also support the work that we do by leaving a review for the podcast in whichever app you're using to listen, or you can buy us a virtual cup of coffee to keep us going. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash hippie haven to support the work we do with just $4. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you have a great rest of your day.